0: In April of 2003, country music artist Billy Currington released a debut album called Walk a Little Straighter. It's an interesting song. If you're a country music fan, you may already know and be familiar with the song. But for those of you who don't, it's a song from a, a child's perspective, calling and begging his daddy to walk a little straighter. His dad is an absentee father who's a drunk. And his father's noticing as he walks and sways side to side. In fact, in one of the lines of the songs, it talks about the dad stumbling into his graduation day. And swaying and not even staying. And he says, You're, I'm not only seeing this, but everyone's seeing this too. It's really a sad reality of a child from his perspective, seeing his father in this drunken stupor and pleading walk a little straighter. The reality is there's all kinds of bad examples out there. These bad examples of those walking before setting, bad examples of peers and parents, of the world. But the reality is, we're not here, obviously, to talk about a country music song. That's another, there used to be a podcast by Russell Moore on that. Go and listen to that if you want to hear country music and, and the gospel combined. But the reality this morning that we need to see is, as Christians, we're not given a poor example to follow. We're given a perfect example to follow in that of Jesus Christ. The question before us, though, what are we going to do with that perfect example? If we had the perfect example of Christ before us, are we going to walk and actually imitate him? Or are we going to be told to walk a little straighter because we're varying into sin and carelessness? That's what Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 520 begins to teach us this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open up to Ephesians uh, chapter 4 starting in verse 17 this morning. While you're turning there, just uh, again a a quick summary and running start if you've not been with us of, of what we've been going through. Ephesians is a book broken down into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 is very theologically heavy. It's Hear who is who you are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 begins, Now this is how you live in light of your new identity in Christ. So we've seen in chapters 1 through 3, this is now your identity. If you are a Christian, beginning last week, we began to see, what does this mean for our lives? How does this impact how we live in light of this new identity? And that's where we pick up in 417. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 520. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Of the Lord but what in the world yes that's a long section of text but if you were following and reading along you notice a theme a theme running from 417 all the way through 520 and it is walk four times we see this call to walk walk in this manner that's the main idea then of 417 through 520 it's this The call to follow Jesus is a call to walk in a manner imitating him. Therefore let us put off the old ways and put on the new. It's there on the screen, but let me repeat that. The call to follow Jesus is a call to walk in a manner imitating him. Therefore let us put off the old ways and put on the new. Let us put off the old and put on the new We're going to unfold this in four different parts. Part number one, walk in newness. Part number two, walk in love. Part number three, walk in light. And part number four, walk in wisdom. Let's look at part one, walk in newness. Again, look back at 417 through 18. Excuse me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In our new life as Christians, we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles did. Wait a minute, this is Gentile Christian, so so what's the distinctions here? Remember, our new identities in Christ. Though they were once Gentiles, they are no longer to walk that way. They are no longer to walk as those that were of the world. They're no longer to walk as those who were alienated from God. Because they were once, and the Gentiles still are, darkened in their understanding there in verse 18. They're still alienated from the life of God. And these Christians are not to walk in these ways. They're not to walk as the world. We as Christians have been brought from death to life. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus by the grace of God through faith. Therefore, we're to be changed were to walk in a new set of ways the world is still hardened to the things of god look at there at verse 19 they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity for the as many as in this area have worked on the railroad that term callousness should be a familiar term The hands hardening from hard work. If you're a man or a woman and you've worked with your hands, you know that callous, hard feeling on your hands that becomes worn and numb as you swing an axe or a hammer regularly. Chopping wood, whatever means, you develop those calluses, those hardened lumps on your hands. But notice how it's describing this callousness of the Gentiles, of the world. They're hardened in their hearts. They have calloused hearts. They're hardened to the things of God. They're hardened to the truths of God. They want nothing to do with it. They're desensitized to the things of God. Therefore, they feel no fear and shame of immorality. They feel no sensitivity towards that. They're not ashamed of their sin, and therefore they go about openly mocking God. This is the way of the world, and this is what Paul is calling us as Christians not to walk as. Friends, too many, even in the church, are still callous to the things of God. Our hearts are too hardened to the things and teachings of God. But notice why this is the case. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And it continues assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If we have rightly learned the ways of Christ, we know then we are no longer to walk as we once were that's our former self but notice that what he says assuming you have learned the ways of Christ there is a danger a danger of misunderstanding the gospel the gospel is only enough to get us out of hell free kind of like playing Monopoly and passing and getting a get out of jail free card. That's how we think of the gospel. It's only a card to get us out of hell free. Friends, if that's your understanding of the gospel, you have not rightly been taught the ways of Christ. The same power that's powerful enough to cause us to be born and made alive is powerful enough and will transform us. The gospel is the power of salvation, a power that doesn't just merely get us out. It changes us. It truly makes us new in Jesus. That's the way of Christ. The gospel removes that hardened heart and makes it tender to the things of God. It de- What's desensitized, it resensitizes to the ways of God. We begin to long and and want to submit to God's authority, taking us from being alienated to now reconciled to God, meaning that we walk rightly with Him. This is the gospel. This is the gospel we're to hear and rightly to believe. Friend, for some of you this morning... You need to either for the first time or for the first time truly come under this gospel. You need to see your need to believe and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. That's the first step for you. That's a way of deep hardening your heart and it becoming soft and made new is to believe in Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. To believe that he died and rose again, defeating death. To make you alive in him. If you would but believe. This is the step some of you need to make this morning. But for others. You need to see that you need to turn away from looking back at this former life. And wishing and thinking I'm still missing out trying to hold on to it. Some Christians look back and and say you know what. I, I, I want to believe in Jesus, but I really miss that old way of living. I wish I could just live as I once did. That's not the way we have learned Christ. In fact, uh, to quote the great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, It is out of this kind of life that believers have been saved and emancipated. God forbid that anyone should ever look back at, to it with longing eyes. Friend, if you profess to be a Christian, do not look back to the former ways. Flee from them and put on the new joyfully because you have been made alive in Christ. Friends, let us walk following Jesus. Let us begin to take off our old ways and put on the new. Let us begin to be transformed by the power of the gospel, allowing the truth of God in christ to penetrate our hearts to make us new it's a slow process but be progressing be advancing in pursuing this godliness in turning and being created into the image of god look there again at verse 23 and 24. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the Christian life. We are being created more in the image of God in his righteousness and holiness. Through the process of sanctification. That's what we're doing. And that's how we're to walk increasing in this but how how are we to increase in this righteousness and holiness how are we to increase in the image of God and being made in his image as we're made anew in Christ that changes the way we walk that's what we turn to in our next three points as starting with walk in love beginning in in verse 25 through 5 two. At first glance, it may seem like these are very separate things. 425 through 430, it just seems like a bunch of random things until you realize chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 are actually looking back on 40, 425 through 30. It's a call to walk in love. I don't mean to disappoint you, but, but those that big number which marks the chapter and those little number which marks verses... That wasn't in the original manuscripts of the Bible. Those were later added. So while they're helpful in for us to be able to say, look there at 425 through 5.2, they're helpful for that. They're not authoritative. They don't declare where the breaks of the text actually always make the most sense. And therefore, 5, one and 2 help us to understand 425 through 30 here better as this call to walk in Love. But what does it mean for us to walk in love? Starting there in 425. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. To walk in love starts with us speaking the truth of one another. How often are we carried away with grumbling and speaking falsehood or partial truths about one another? The call of the Christian is to speak truth of one another. Especially the neighbor around us. The neighbors in Ephesians is mostly talking about brothers and sisters in the local church. Brothers and sisters, if we're to walk in love, we must see that we must speak truthfully about one another. We must labor to speak the truth always about our brothers and sisters. But there's a second means of what it means to love and walk in love. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, if you're honest with yourself, how many of you before? us stepping into here thought this specifically had to do with marriage it doesn't it can apply to marriage don't get me wrong but it's not primarily about your marriage and not going to bed angry with your spouse it's deeper than Notice the context. It's a letter to the church of Ephesus. And it's saying, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Means this applies to our one another living. To walk in love is to, yes, we're going to get angry with one another. But to resolve that anger and to not let it go undealt with. To not even let the sun set on our anger. We're to deal with accounts with one another and keep short accounts. We're not to go to bed angry at our brothers and sisters in Christ. Holding grudges against them. Because if we do, we give opportunity to the devil to harden our hearts against that brother or sister. And to create strife and disunity. You know... In reading the Proverbs daily, there's great benefit, especially this morning. Today is the 6th of August. I read Proverbs 6 this morning, first thing. Proverbs 6 talks about there's six things that God hates, seven that are abomination. And what is is the seventh there? It's disunity. God hates disunity. He hates those that create it. Therefore, when we allow grudges to bear up, disunity follows. Do you see how we give Satan all sorts of ammunition when we bear grudges and keep long accounts with one another? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must keep short accounts if we're to walk in love with one another. I wasn't going to go here, but let's go ahead and turn to 5, 1, and 2 first. Here's as good of anywhere as to drive this home says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christian, that long account you keep with one another, what if Christ kept the long account with you and me? What if we kept that long account or the long accounts we keep with one another if Christ kept it for us? That's not the way in which we learn love. Christ keeps a short account. He's already dealt with our sin if we've believed, and he's loved us despite our sin. He shows us that grace. He gave us himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, what if Instead of holding on to those grudges and our anger with one another, we turned them over. We loved and gave up our pride and self-focus to love our brother or sister despite whatever wrong they had. That's the way to walk in Christ. Yes, we call sin sin, we're gonna address with that in a minute, but we don't need to hold on to it in anger and be grudging. Brothers and sisters, let us walk in love. But another means of walking in love, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The one who was previously a thief is no longer to be a thief, but one who labors to work to share what he has with others. To be transformed. This is what to walk in love looks like. It changes who we were to create a new person. To walk in love is to labor, to share with one another. To empty ourselves instead of possessing just to withhold for ourselves. Part of walking in love is emptying ourselves for the good of one another. And caring for each other. This is what it looks like to walk in love. Verse 29. It goes on, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We return to speech here. Once more to walk in love is affects the way we speak. This time, our speech around one another. Not vulgar speech, not speech that tears down, but speech that builds up. That's what it means to walk in love. Some would would get lost in careless conversations that are just so full of garbage and wastefulness. Instead of thinking, what actually builds up those that I'm around? Maybe part of that speech that tears down is that speech of building self up and putting down others. But other parts of that speech that is careless, that corrupting talk coming out of our mouths, is that which she calls us to blush and be ashamed to speak, that we just carelessly speak. And it's unprofitable as others around listen in. It doesn't build anybody up except for crude joking. Let us put this kind of speech to death as we follow Christ and seek to walk in love and let our speech be labored to be building others up around us. What if we thought about the way we speak is how is so and so around me being built up husband? How how is your speech affecting and building up your wife and vice versa? (laughs) Neighbor, how is your speech working to build up? your neighbors let us labor to walk in love by our speech laboring to build one another up but it's not done here verse 30 through 32 goes on and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, we return to that idea of Christ forgiving us. We need to show that same grace to one another. But notice again in verse 30, it talks about not grieving that of the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, do you see what kind of a God we have? One who is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. Who walks so closely in proximity to us that our sin, our wickedness, grieves Him. Spurgeon puts this much better than I. He says this. He is not a God who reigns in solitary isolation, divided by a great gulf. But He, the Blessed Spirit, comes into such near contact with us takes such minute observations, feels such tender regards that he can be grieved by our faults and follies. Christian, to walk in love is to see that when we sin and walk in foolishness, when we sin and walk against love, that the Spirit is grieved because of our foolishness. And yet we have a God who invites us to own our sin to confess it and to repent of it brothers and sisters let us walk in love fleeing from these ways of sinful living walking in the ways of hate that we once walked we must turn from that and now walk in this kind of love a love that is pleasing to the spirit rather than grieving to the spirit but this is not the only way we're called to walk The second way we're called to walk here is to walk in light, beginning in chapter 5, verse 3. The sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. This continues and picks back up in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure who is covetousness Covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. We're called here to walk in light and not darkness. And the aim of this walking in darkness is that of sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness. In fact, it's so serious that it talks about there in verse 4 to not even joke about such. It returns once more to speech, but it's not just the sake of repeating what was already said back in chapter 4 that we just looked at. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. To walk in light is to not even joke about such evil Even joking takes hold of our hearts and our minds and gives attention to that. Remember, the call to walk in newness is a call to renew even that of our minds that we saw back in chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. We're to walk in a renewing of mind. So even our talk is not to be so... Filled with this foolish and crude joking. We're not to joke about sexual immorality. We're not to joke about all impurity and covetousness. That means desiring what a neighbor has. You know, this cuts even to my heart. That, that of, of joking about being covetous or jealous of uh, somebody's shirt or this. I, I just texted a buddy the other day who had a... a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt that says uh, something cool dad and has his two sons' names on it. I said, I'm jealous of that shirt. But even that is something that should cut up to our hearts. We shouldn't even joke about being envious of what others have. Even something as minute as that. Brothers and sisters, let us walk in light. Let us put away the sexual immorality and covetousness. But notice again the severity of this. Let, notice the severity of this again in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. That means they are not living as a Christian. They're not walking in Christ. They have no promise in christ if this describes them so what is this that is so severe what is this that is so blatantly raw that it says no inheritance lies for these well it's those that pervert the good ways of god consider here first with sexual immorality of the fact that it it, Talks about, but sexual immorality is not to be named among you. Think of what immorality is it is that which is impure, that which is not right. God designed marriage and sex for one man and one woman in the holy matrimony of marriage. God said that this is good and right. So sexual immorality is anything that pushes against this. So sex outside of marriage whether heterosexual or homosexual, is sin. It's sin. Don't let us be fooled. These are sin, both equally. Sin is also, sexual immorality, is also that, again, of joking and thinking and spending our time and energy, that lust of the heart that we lust after somebody who's not our wife. We see the seriousness of sexual immorality. The book of Proverbs, again in chapter 5, talks about the way and the solution to this. It is to see the beauty of what God has designed in marriage. It says that a husband is to delight, to be intoxicated in the love of his wife, the wife of his youth, the graceful doe. God has designed sex. But to be pure in the fines of marriage between one man and one woman. And he goes on to drive this home even further. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. These are serious claims. To walk in light means to flee from these, but it also calls for us to not be deceived when the world presses in and tries to redefine love and what is light. We need to be aware of these things because the world is trying to press in and say, no, we redefine what sexual morality is. We've redefined it. But Christian, we must understand these are God's words that He has given These are the ways that he has called us to walk in. So therefore, to ignore these is essentially saying, I prefer darkness over light. So how do we deal with this? How do we actually pursue walking in this light? Verse 7, 7 through 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were... darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11 adds, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Christian, to walk in light is to not even associate with that of darkness. Darkness. Now, what does this mean and what doesn't this mean? This is is where we get lost sometimes. It doesn't mean casting out the world because that's all they do. The church, this is why church membership matters, especially holding a high bar of what it means to be a church member and not associating with somebody who calls themselves Christian and is continuing to walk in such darkness. This is why church discipline is given in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 about removing from your membership. Paul in 1 Corinthians, uh, it's a sexual immorality case. Remove them from your midst. Not because you don't love, but because you want to walk in truth, in love. And the most loving thing you can do is call out their darkness, exposing it. Saying, friend. You are not walking as a Christian. You are walking as the world, and therefore you are in darkness in this sin. And unless you repent, we're going to cast you from our midst in hopes that you repent and will come back again. To walk in light is a hard step to take hard actions towards one another. To walk in light is to Cast out the darkness from our midst amongst our members to ensure that we're walking in a manner of light, following Jesus Christ, our King. Church membership is not like that of a social club. Let everyone in who wants to be in. If you think that is what it means to belong to the church, you've missed it. Matthew 16, think about it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not on Peter as a Pope, but as Peter upon his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is what the church is to be built upon the truths of the gospel. And those that deny it are not welcome in. You don't do it because you dislove them or hate them or just want to be mean and bar them out. You do it because of this. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We call sin, sin by holding the bar high of what it means to be a Christian and to live it out. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. Again, coming back to speech. Verse 14 or 13 and 14, though. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. To walk in the light is to expose darkness, to call sin what it really is, sin. To do so, though, for the aim of this restoration, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The call of hard truths being lived out in love is always for the sake of shining light and exposing darkness and drawing people to the light, not on condemning them. Christian, our job is to declare the truth that was given to us by our King, our Commander-in-Chief, our General, Jesus Christ. It's calling us to follow His marching orders. He defines the terms. He sets the agenda, not us. So to walk in light is to walk in his ways. Brothers and sisters, let's follow Jesus. Let's walk in light and instead of darkness, let us flee from these ways of darkness and sin and call sin, sin, and truth, truth. Let's do it gently and in love, but we must be about the truth. So far, we've seen the call to walk in newness is a call to walk in love and in light. But there's one more walk that we must walk. And that's where we turn in our fourth point this morning. To walk in wisdom. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are evil before us. They've been since Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus. Nothing has changed. The times are still evil. They're not more evil or less evil. They're the same evil. Because the same enemy still lies before us. Wanting to deceive. But the question isn't what do we do? It's how do we. Or what do we do to change the folly around us? It's how do we live wisely as Christians in the midst of that? If the days are evil, how do we live wisely as Christians in the midst of that great evil? Part of walking new in Christ, part of being a follower and a disciple of Jesus is learning to follow his commands. Notice what it says twice here in these verses. It says, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Drops down again um, in. I'm going to miss the spot. There's two references here of knowing the will of the Lord. Um, Regardless, we see this call to walk wisely. Wisely. We see this call to pursue wisdom in the way we walk. Therefore, we need to understand here, what is this will of the Lord? Brothers and sisters, too often when we see the will of the Lord, we think the will of the Lord is about finding that secretive hidden will of God. Somehow God's not made it clear, where am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? All, All of these little different pieces we think that's the will of the Lord, but that's not what the will of the Lord is. Yes, those are the secretive parts, but there's a plain will of the Lord that He has called us to, that He has taught us. Jesus said in making disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? To obey what he's commanded. To obey his teachings. Christian, you can't live the will of the Lord and seeking wisdom if you're not obeying all the clear things of Scripture. Don't worry about the hard thing until you are obeying the very plain and simple things. You want to know what it means to live wisely? In our day and time? In the very practical sense? One, pursue holiness. Holiness. If you're not pursuing holiness and godliness, you are not walking in the will of the Lord. Plain and simple. To be pursuing the will of the Lord is to walk in holiness, to be being made new in Christ. Other telling others and making and declaring praise of our great God and what he's done in Jesus Christ. The Bible over and over again talks about passing it on. Deuteronomy 6, our scripture reading from Deuteronomy 11. Psalm 78, tell the coming generations. The great commission itself, the mission of the church, go and make disciples. Brothers and sisters, we're not being obedient to the plain and simple will of the Lord if we're not going about and telling others about our great God and what he's done in Christ. With our mouths. We can't be obedient to the will of the Lord. Therefore, let us walk wisely. Let us seek opportunities to pursue these basic and simple truths in our daily lives, in our daily living. This is the way of Christ. But it goes on to further elaborate on this. It tells us here, plain and simple, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being filled with wine and drunkenness and stupor and slumber, be filled with the Spirit which empowers and strengthens and builds up. How to be filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We walk wisely as we praise our God, as we give thanks to our God for what he's done in Christ. Brothers and sisters, are we walking in these ways to follow our Savior in all that he has for us? He did not come to die so that we could remain unchanged. He came to die so we could live and to follow him. Christian, these calls to, to walk in these ways, yes, they're hard calls, but you know what drives us to it? It's the fact that Jesus died and bled on a cross in order to save us by his grace. That's what motivates us to walk in these new ways. That's why we take it seriously. It's not something for us to go and do To earn his salvation. It's because of his salvation he has given us in Christ. We now go and walk in these. And pursue these ways. Out of thanksgiving. For what he has done. We offer ourselves to be made new in Jesus. Because God is already doing it. And we are following the work he's doing in us. Through his spirit. Let's go and walk in the newness of life. As we follow our King. Let's pray.